2: We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Hit your free throws because they're free. Joshua Fisher, Alexander Disappos, Nikki Snacks. quite We're also going to use this for the Believe in Celtics feed because it is the NBA Finals time. We are brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code. Believe. Get 50% off. You're welcome. Bonus. This makes like me a that. Celtics host now? This makes you a Celtics host technically and Toss wow. as well, but really I, I never I
3: imagined hot. that happening
2: your life i know but here we are who would have thought not me game one a lot of legacy on the line tale of two tapes completely the warriors have a combined 123 finals appearances the celtics have a combined zero nobody on the celtics roster has played a single minute in the nba finals that means the charity stripe hosts have played the same amount of minutes in nba finals as the boston celtics who would have thought that nick Warriors, on the other hand, Steph is going for title number four. It's their sixth and eighth years, eight years. Also, if you really think about it, had KD and Clay Thompson not gotten hurt against the Raptors, we could be talking about a fifth title for Steph Curry. Tatum looking to take a torch as the next young guy who's leading a team to the NBA Finals. We thought it could be Booker. We thought it could be Luka. Jokic has his two MVPs. Embiid was the big man in the Philly this year. But it could be Tatum, who stands alone as the next young gun, leading the Boston Celtics potentially into another dynasty realm. I'm not getting too ahead of myself. We have to win this series first. It's going to be a very daunting task. But Boston last summer, new head coach. Steven's the guy at the helm for a long time who will bring this team back gone into the front office. Ime Adoka comes in. Terrible first half. Turns it around. Flips the script. One of, if not the best team in the second half. They finish second in the East. They take down the Nets. They take down the Bucs, albeit without Chris Middleton. They take down the Heat a seven-game series and now go on to face the Golden State Warriors. Who have, you know, had their fair share of opponents? The Memphis Grizzlies broke down without John Morant. Luca was magical against the Warriors and throughout the playoffs, but that team by and large was not as good of a team as I would say the Celtics and maybe let's say the bucks and the bucks made it out of the Eastern conference. I think the Suns we were talking about in the car the other day, toss blew it beyond biblical, biblical proportions. And you said that the Mavs, I thought this was very interesting, dismantled potentially two franchises in this one postseason, killing two birds with one stone for the future. Dallas, an ultimate free agency destination coming into the summer. But Boston has completely flipped the script. They might be the most desirable team to join in the Eastern Conference, win or lose. And if they win, they are the top team to join. I'm not saying they're getting Bradley Beal tomorrow. But guys, tertiary pieces are going to want to come there. Boston has completely changed the narrative of their franchise in less than you know a season. Pretty much the second half on.
0: I am gonna I'm gonna push back on Go that. for it. Please push back. I not that it's point. not a destination. Well, one the interesting thing about Bradley Beal is that if he signs a supermax with the Washington Wizards, he will be earning, I think across the total contract, like fifty more million dollars than he could with any other team. So mm-hmm. take that as you will. And yeah. Bradley
3: Beal will as well. At that um, point, you just have to weigh, does he value money or a ring more? And some guys value the ring more. Some guys do.
0: But when you talk $50 million plus, that's more than a lot of players in the NBA make across their entire career timeline. I get so, it. But
3: I was, I was talking to a professional athlete one time before, and he he had mentioned, he was like, look, there's some guys who have already made so much money, an extra $50 million, you know, like if he's made, how much has he made in his career? Like what's his total career earnings? Um, Over We could look that 150? up. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, no, I, I just think that it, it is a destination. What I'm pushing back on is that it hasn't been a destination for the last three years. This isn't the first time that the Tatum and Brown iteration of the Celtics has been to the Eastern Conference Finals. The first time that they've been to the NBA Finals. This is a team that I think they're there a little bit earlier than when they initially had been paired together. We thought they were going to be, but they, they overachieved. They quote unquote overachieved early, right? Sure. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily surprised that the Celtics team is here. And I think they've done an excellent job of meticulously putting together a team that can compete for this year and next year, the additions of Derek White and Al Horford. I don't know how many other guys you would really necessarily have to bring to this team. Well, if you win the
2: championship, you you don't necessarily need to change it. That's a very good point.
0: Yeah, so I think that this is a team that what, what I would like to take a deeper look at is the Emu Udoka piece, which is his first-year coaching. He's he's coaching across from Steve Kerr, who in his first-year coaching won an NBA title. So mm. I think that's something that's that's really interesting to me. Um, Imu Udoka yeah. obviously was on a lot of different coaching staffs. So yeah, go ahead, Nick.
3: You know what's crazy is Steve Kerr has never not made the has never made the playoffs and not made the finals
0: right that's nuts
3: that's so crazy
0: the only two years that they didn't make the playoffs were the last two years when they picked James Wiseman with the second overall pick and then the next year yeah the next year they take Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga right so Um, yeah Bradley
3: Beals career earnings and want to take a guess at all
0: yeah it's probably around 200
3: 220 so He's under contract for next season, and he's set to make thirty-six million dollars. So that would put him at two hundred and fourteen million dollars, just over.
0: If he if he gets a super max with the Wizards, he becomes the highest played, highest paid player in the NBA, which is wild. Which which not he's not the best player in the NBA.
2: Which after last season, you would say is ridiculous. But two seasons ago, if he was like the highest paid player in the league, you'd be like, that's a stretch but like he's great and i could kind of get behind that that being like the weird sentiment he's like the off-brand it's always, guy that's like a high played
3: player it's always just so like it's such a head scratcher to me how guys i mean look he is great right what is he like a top 15 player in the league no top 20 no top 30
2: yeah okay. healthy so that's healthy, my yeah. point
3: that's my point right <laughs> he's top 30 player in the league. He's getting paid more than Giannis. He's getting paid more than KD. He's getting paid more than LeBron. He'd be getting paid more than James Harden and all those guys.
2: Yeah, because there's things that's a great point and that's a very confusing aspect. The thing is in the NBA contracts, what was happening was so many guys were spurning their original teams to go and join and make these super teams in big cities that they made it more appetizing for players to stick around more. In their right. con like Bradley Beal can't go get this contract somewhere else. He has right. to stay in Washington to get this next deal.
3: Right. So that brings me back to my point of guys who care more about money or guys who care about more about winning. Well, we're right? gonna find out with him. Exactly. And like with any other sport, like the best player in NFL is Patrick Mahomes, right? I mean, you know, it's a it's a wide opinion, I and mean, a lot of people can argue that, but a lot of people also agree with that. He's the highest paid player in the NFL. Yeah, right? the right. contract. Mike Trout has the biggest contract in MLB.
2: Well, you can go in a, you can
3: basketball. There's a limit to how many years you can sign
2: a guy. You can't sign a guy for 10 years as well, which is also a caveat. Baseball. You could sign a guy. If you want to get Garrett Cole for 13 years and, you know, slap each other on the behind and say, it's the best deal you've ever made in franchise history. Go right ahead. Do you want to get Bob
3: Bonilla for 30 years? Go for it. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, my, my, yeah. I, my original point about, yeah. Cause I think the, my deal the B- 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 argument, yeah, I would, Obviously, we want to talk about the Warriors and Celtics here. My original point is that you bring in Bradley Beal, great. You're giving up three or four guys that you can no longer pay if you're adding that third star. What the Celtics have built this year and why it's worked so well is they have, they have depth, they have an identity, and they have their two stars that can get it done when they need to, specifically Jason Tatum, who has continued to take the step forward and at the end of these playoffs, whether they win or lose against the Warriors – will be and has been in that that, that front-running position of the next iteration of the NBA alongside Luka, Booker, and John Morant. Those are the four guys I, I would include with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you have to do. And if you look across against the team they're playing, that team has done the exact same thing, right? It's depth, it's identity. It helps when you've been there before, of course. The identity part, you don't necessarily have to discover. But Draymond, Clay, Steph... And then you add all the other tertiary pieces, right? Otto Porter, Moody gave them good minutes. I expect him to play in the NBA Finals as a rookie, which is impressive. Um, Iguodala, if he can come back, but even just him being in the locker room. And the Celtics have the same thing with Smart and Horford and Rob Williams. Pritchard's giving them good minutes. Obviously, we talked about Derek White. That trade was huge. That's what's been most impressive about both these teams and why I think the Celtics are a matchup, a true matchup for this Warriors team because they have that depth and that defensive capability. And that's what I'm looking forward to most in this series is watching the Celtics and the best defense in the NBA handle the the best, in my opinion, the best offense in the NBA that, as we've talked about for the last eight years, can score 15 points in the blink of an eye because they have Steph Curry and they have Clay Thompson who are the most dangerous three-point shooters in the NBA. And they have not faced an offense like this no. in the NBA playoffs by a long shot,
2: long shot, not even close. It's a completely different identity. And it's ironic. Nick brings up. We love to cross the show and our personal show. The Kansas City Chiefs, because this is the Kansas City Chiefs that we've become accustomed to. They could change the game in a blink of an eye in one big play. You could be down nine and two minutes later, be up like three or four. And that's just the way the Golden State Warriors operate. They are. I was talking to somebody. Here's the points I've been making as I've been hors d'oeuvres around America on these various stations. First of all, shout out to Rapid City. I thought that was in Michigan. Turns out it's in South Dakota. The Celtics have excellent length and a great defensive identity. And I don't mean when people think of length, they think of length in the paint. I'm talking about the length of Tatum, the length of Jalen, and the length of defensive player of the year, Marcus Smart, who's 6'5 and arguably the toughest pound for pound player in the NBA. Can he go – Steph Curry is going to get 20 to 25 points, so let's forget about him getting less than that. That's just the way the story breaks. Can he prevent Steph Curry from getting 30, from getting 35? Can he stymie him just enough to limit his excellent and his explosive nature? If that's the case and the Celtics are going to be in good shape, can you stop Klay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins from getting 20? then you're going to be in good shape. Can you not shut them down, but give them a tough enough time where they're not overreaching their projected numbers? And it's tough. I mean, you've gone up against one-man show after one-man show after one-man show if you're the Celtics. Realistically, outside of Kyrie and KD, who do they have the game plan for And then Brooklyn series? Nobody. Outside of Giannis and Holiday, who had a bad series offensively? Nobody. The Heat, Bam, didn't really show up. Kyle Lowry showed his age. Harrow was in and out of the lineup. Duncan Robinson and an afterthought. It was the Jimmy Butler show. And when push came to shove, it wasn't enough. This is a completely different team. We're talking, they have Jordan Poole, Draymond Green. If this isn't, like, I was talking to someone they're like, okay, if the Celtics can get to their half-court defense, you know, which is the best in the league, sure. They're going to give the Warriors some fits. Agreed. Despite, you know, the Warriors we talk about all the time, having excellent ball movement. But what if they don't? What if they find themselves consistently in transition and we saw how Jalen Brown can turn the ball over? We saw how at times Jason Tatum can turn the ball over. And this is a team in transition that is lethal, not because they have the athleticism necessarily to just continuously get to the basket at a fast pace. They can pull up from Vietnam and make it rain on you. They are so versatile and going in transition. You really – it's just different pitch after different pitch. It's the U Darvish. I'm mean, going to cross board, across the board, go to Nikki Stacks' in San Diego's U Darvish. The guy's got like nine pitches in his repertoire. The Golden State Warriors, you know, they're in transition. They could come. They want to pull it from 35. Go for it. They want to go cut and go into the late They want to give it to Clay and cut back to Wiggins. Go for it. Find a guy in the corner. There's nothing they are not. They're capable of everything. They have a guy that can do all the stuff in transition. And that's an aspect about the Warriors that I'm very weary of. We have to somehow control the turnover battle.
0: One one thing I want to – the Warriors have been quite liberal as they, they always are with their decision-making. They're They're never afraid of making a risky pass – uh, you know, a risky backdoor pass that could lead to a, an easy layup, a pass up the floor to, you know, to get out o- into the open break. And they actually do turn over the ball quite frequently for a team that's mm-hmm. in the NBA Finals. So, if yeah, I certainly think that if the Celtics are losing the turnover battle every single game, that means they're probably averaging over 14 turnovers a game. And there's no way they will win the series doing that. No they chance. Have but- to, they, they have to do what the Mavs did in the games that they, that they won, which was the only one. And then like the other game game two, where they got close, where they significantly beat the Warriors in the turnover battle. I think they were like plus eight, both of those games. So one, one quick point I want to make that I think is being overlooked is that, you know, before the, the Mavs played the Warriors in the Western Conference final, I, I poo-pooed Andrew Wiggins. What I, what I was poo-pooing, what I was really focusing on was his offensive capabilities His defensive capabilities, you want to talk about length? That guy's basically the same height and has a longer wingspan than Jason Tatum. That will be the primary defender on Jason Tatum the entire series. Jason Tatum hasn't had to deal with a wing defender like Andrew Wiggins for the run of the playoffs. There hasn't been a defender in the Eastern Conference that can compete with him like Andrew Wiggins, I expect, will be able to. So that will be really interesting to see because I think that the one Achilles heel of the Celtics – can be their shot selection at times. And what I'm never worried about is the Warriors shot selection. They are guaranteed six wide open buckets every single game just by by course of their, moving. Movement, their movement. Right, and the Celtics can get into that iso ball style every now and then. And I think when, when their shots aren't falling, which we've seen from Jalen and from Jason throughout the playoffs, yes, they've both been great, but they've also had games where they've shot really poorly, but they didn't necessarily try and change anything up. They kept shooting. Try to shoot themselves out of the slump, and I think that could be something that could get them into trouble. And as we said, if the Warriors, you know, if they are if they're up five, they could be up fifteen in the blink of an eye. Um, I, I want to take it to our betting expert, Nikki Snacks Kreider. You know, Bet Online. We talked about them at the beginning of the of the segment. Nick, the the current series prices for the Celtics it's plus one twenty one. The Warriors minus one forty one. Do you like either of those?
3: Um, I honestly don't like serious prices for these, um, like finals matchups just really ever, unless like I'm really sold on the underdog and they're, you know, they're getting disrespectful odds. So I would honestly take like a, a more exact, um, like outcome, right. Where if, if you're betting on the warriors and you're betting on them to win four games to two right. rather, rather than like taking it, you know, in a sweep. Because I don't think that they're going to sweep them, no. Um, but I also don't think this is going to seven games. So I think I think six is is something that's um is doable for the Warriors. So however your betting is set up, whether you want to take you know Warriors in six or or uh you know or if it's just like a four two, which is pretty much the same thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Nice, that's good. I actually do that advice as well because those prices are. The Celtics price is not, you know, high enough as an underdog. And it's not, I, I, the 141 is not sexy. Let me give you some X factors. Can you get to the paint, get to the line, get to the, get to the paint, and by getting to the paint, get to the line and get Kevon Looney in foul trouble? Can you do that? Can you take away some of their big man depth? That's a factor. Love the Wiggins point. Can Jalen Brown then be enough of an X factor, whoever they throw at him offensively? Can he be the guy that's getting, can he be the 40 point guy? Like we yeah. saw that he can he flash that
0: he'll probably have, you... he'll probably have clay on him. I would mm-hmm. expect who's got good length, but, you know, given his injury history and Jalen Brown's youth, Brown should be able to get by him as long as he can keep a tight handle
2: gigs. Okay, which is a major factor. Can Marcus Smart maintain a good shot selection? And play excellent defense. He is the biggest X Factor piece still, despite I think, you know, obviously Jalen now becoming the the secondary scorer to Tatum, of course, has been. Wiggins' is length, giving Tatum a tough time. The Jalen's going to get a lot of opportunities. I still think the biggest X Factor player is Marcus Smart because of what he brings in his duties on the defensive side of the ball against Stephen Curry. And can guys like Grant Williams, who are going to get open looks in the corner, guys like Al Horford. Who are going to get open looks in the wing, can they convert? Not all the time, but at a proper 40% clip. If that's the case between those two, if both those guys can bind shoot 40% from three, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I think this is a if we win tonight, Celtics and seven. If the Celtics lose game win, lose game one and win game two, Warriors and seven. And if they lose both in Golden State, Warriors in five or six. Steph Curry is not losing two at home and then losing the series. It's just not going to happen. This is yeah. A, this is a pivotal game. You have to go in and punch this team in the mouth.
0: Team that has this... been the, the best at home in the playoffs versus the team that has been the best on the road in the playoffs. So it's this really is, it's really interesting.
2: This is yes. It's, and you know, you say a team. This is not a. This is a team technically, but technically, it, it, albeit as a dynasty. You are going against a dynasty. This is not a level three boss. You know, you're drinking your Mountain Dew 14 years old. This is legit. This is the end of Skyrim, whatever that looks like. I didn't even make it that far. It's a weird reference. I can't believe I pulled that out.
0: Another X factor that you didn't mention, Josh, is the health of the Celtics because Otto Porter is really the only guy that's been banged up on the Warriors, but the Celtics have had injuries in that Miami series. Horford at the beginning. I know that was an illness, but Horford, Smart, Smart, Robert Robert Williams. Williams. If those three guys are in and out of the lineup, Celtics are in trouble. They need all three of those guys.
2: You need a full team, full health, and we're the full team right here. We're the charity stripe. Don't move that dial. We'll be back in just a hot second with three-time All-Star and one of the best pitchers in San Diego Padres history, the great Heath Bell, who's Nikki Snacks, co-host of Ring the Bell Pods Talk. Don't go anywhere. We talk some baseball. We'll be right back at you.
0: So 10,000, um, it's, uh, it's a fitness apparel company. And, you know, I, I haven't been able to work out because I've been sick and I've been bedridden, unfortunately. And but you have able to be
3: comfortable, right?
0: I have been, I've been so comfortable, Nick. Like, that's what I was about to say. I, I basically have like, I've manifested a workout by putting on my 10,000 shorts. I'm currently wearing them right now. My, my white, uh, seven inch, Inseam interval shorts that I'm wearing with a little black midsection bar—they're—they're
3: they're awesome. Whoa, I thought you were describing something else for a second.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, but but uh, in addition to the interval short, you know, they make gear specific to other types of training, from running to Olympic lifting, boxing. So you can find a short uh, for for all the ways that you train. The brand believes in being better than yesterday. a Stoic dedication to continuous improvement, not overnight success. Uh, for me, though, I I think like the best thing I can say about these shorts. I used to be this way with Lululemon products where when they were when they were clean and in my closet, I would go to them every single time they were clean and I would put them on. And now I'm doing that with 10,000 and I still have Lululemon stuff. It's just better. It's just better than it. And it's my first choice out of my wardrobe. Um, so so listeners can can go to 10,000 because they're offering a 15% off of your purchase. Go to 10,000.com slash Stripe, S-T-R-I-P-E to receive 15% off your purchase it's 10,000.com slash Stripe. I like him. Josh likes him. Nick likes him. You'll like him too. Alexander
2: Soplas, Nikki Snacks, Kreider out of San Diego. And we have a special guest joining us today. One of the best pitchers in Padres history, three-time all-star closer Heath Bell and co-host Ring the Bell Pods Talk with Nikki Snacks. Kreider over here. Heath, how you doing? We love the Hawaiian hat, man.
1: Thanks, man. I just um I got it. I got one for my kid for his graduation and um I got one for myself. Nice. That's the hat you wear
3: when you uh you're working on your house, right?
1: Yeah, when I'm helping a friend build his house or whatnot. I mean, this keeps the sun off uh, my nose and my face and sometimes my chest when I take my shirt off.
2: Nice. Well it's a very, very efficient hat that we have over here. Uh Heath, before we get into some baseball talk, you and I have a slight bone to pick. I know it's our first time hopping on the mic together, but Nick and I have had a long-standing bet that he can't hit a professional pitcher. Now, I know you've been out of the league a little bit, uh, gone from the show, and you don't have your best stuff these days, but you gave up a, a hit or two to our buddy Nicky Snacks over here, and I've lost my bet,
3: and I'm a very disappointed. Okay, guy. let's just be clear. A lot of it was was just BP. Okay. So, he, he threw me a couple of real pitches.
1: So, yeah. So here's the thing is the bet should be going on until the end of the baseball season, because I've been thrown in a men's league for a 30 and over men's league for the last couple months. At the end of the season, we're actually, um, we're going to meet up somewhere in LA or San Diego, get on a real field, get some people you can show up or whatnot. And I'll actually try to strike them out. I'll get a catcher and everything. That's all I want. That's all I Here want. I'm, I'm not, listen, <laughs> I'm and,
3: sure you'll strike me out. Oh, uh, I can't so, wait. And who's going to well, be, well, the you guys route. will have the bet
1: of like you, how many bats does he actually get? Does he get like two actual full of bats where it's striking ball or three of bats, or is it just one? Well, it's up to
3: Josh. Cause he's the one who's doesn't have faith in me.
2: Well, it's, it, it's different. I mean, cause well, it's interesting from your perspective and maybe we could touch on this, you know, you're a closer, obviously so you're not seeing a you're you're seeing just a couple guys in a game let alone yep. the full lineup let alone the full lineup a couple times around uh so does that differ for your your approach like let's say nick hypothetically is a major league hitter, a guy that you're not used to facing multiple times in one game. You may face a guy multiple times in a series, depending on when you come in. Mm -hmm. But does that, would that change your approach having to face him the same time in a game or it doesn't really matter to you?
1: Um, I would say yes, because the men's league that I play in, I pretty much, I start the game and finish the game. I pitch all nine innings (laughs) and um, I'm facing everybody.
3: And Striking uh, out like 16 or 17. I or average 15
1: strikeouts per game. I have to kind of pitch the guys a little bit different. There's some guys that can't hit a fastball. So I just try to rear back and throw it. And then there's some other guys that are pretty a little bit better and I have to mix it up a little bit. So let's,
3: let's rewind a little bit. Let them know what, when you joined this men's league, what were, what were people saying about you at first? They okay. Didn't think first you played, of all, right? I
1: joined them. I, I met some guys in a batting cage with my kid. And yeah, I just yeah. noticed they were really bad. And I'm like, hey, you guys in a men's league? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, well, I kind of, you know, I used to, I played in one, you know, I played, used to play baseball this and that. I didn't tell them who I it was. In one. <laughs> and um, I said, you know, I I can play first, third outfield. I don't catch, but um, I can pitch. So everybody kind of liked, you know, because you know, I can throw strikes.
3: Mm-hmm
1: and they needed somebody so i came out the first time and that guy that actually asked me out and he goes hey are you the heath bell and i said yeah but don't tell anybody <laughs> so then i my first two games i mean i was knocking the cover off the ball i'm hitting doubles balls off the wall yeah i hit a few triples that are really not good for me because i'm huffing and puffing by the time i get there cuz i'm out of shape now the rumor was like man this this guy probably hit in college He's probably a hitter, you know. Somebody goes, Oh, he played Pro Ball. Hey, he probably played in the minor leagues. He could swing the bat. And then it kind of got out a couple of weeks later that I was Heath Bell, you know, pitcher in the big leagues. And it's funny because one game somebody goes to one of my players, one of my teammates said, uh, hey, that guy looks like you remember that closer, Heath Bell on the Padres? He kind of pitches
2: like him. That, that's amazing. <laughs> and then my
1: teammates like, that is him.
2: No, <laughs> so like, is. no way. That's hilarious. So, and then um, one of those last games I was
1: in two weeks ago, we were down two nothing in the eighth inning. And, you know, I'm known as that slide guy at the all-star game. And I told my team, I go, if you guys want to F and see me slide, you better come back and win score some runs. We ended up scoring five. So then I had to slide on the pitchers mound, in the last inning, then we got the last three outs. And it was funny because the other team goes, Hey, one of these days, maybe you can slide in the mound before you face us. And we just went. He just did. You didn't see it. <laughs> I like you're, ran you're from like, the dugout instead of the outfield.
2: You're like the entertainment for these guys now. Like they're like asking you to do all these tricks now that they know the cat's out of the bag. That's hilarious. It's, it's yeah, so I've, funny they didn't realize it first.
1: But some of the guys, if they get a hit off me, they're like, oh, "I'm super happy." This and that, or something. Or if somebody hits the ball good off me and I leave it over the middle or something, I look at them and go, "Man, that was great swing." No one's <laughs> taking you deep though, right? Nobody's taking me deep. That ain't gonna
0: happen. That's crazy.
3: <laughs> That's if you sick. if
0: a guy does get a hit on you next time he comes around, are you just like, all right, put him in put him in his place a little bit? I'm either gonna drill him or
1: I'm gonna tackle him when he rounds third.
2: <laughs> That's what I told Nick. <laughs> I told Nick. I go, when Nick and I were talking because Nick's like, all right, I'm gonna go down. I'm gonna face heat i him in Texas, and I was like, just so you know, if he really pitches to you, and you like get like a, you really knock one off of him. He's gonna drill you in the back in your next and
3: bat. He's. <laughs> I didn't have a helmet on though, so I feel like he was a little cautious. Yeah, that's so.
2: I'm sure he was. Uh Heath. There's a lot of great pitchers we that we've I been privy to see. Some guys that were really you know, focused on now Scherzer, Verlander, and Degrom. Not only is like the best guys and Kershaw, you know that we've seen, but where do they rank all time? And pure stuff of those four guys. Let's just say. Who would you say is pure stuff that you appreciate and value the most?
1: Probably Max Scherzer, just by pure stuff. Yeah, I think he's got the best repertoire out of anybody. He throws hard, but the ball also moves. So he's got a good change-up. Breaking ball, where like, you know, Kershaw has that big breaking ball, but if he doesn't have the big breaking ball, things don't really work. Grom, if I feel like if he's not throwing hard, stuff isn't as good. I feel mm. like Scherzer it, – it, it, here's the thing. In the era of the last 10 to 20 years, I think those are probably the best pitchers out there, but they're probably ranked all time. It's kind of hard because here's the thing. And nowadays, say just pick to the last 10 years of pitchers. It's all about velocity. It's all about these guys are throwing really hard. They have nasty stuff, but they're not pitchers. If you watch guys like Greg Maddox, Mac, the reason Max Scherzer is such a good pitcher is because, he moves the ball up, down, in, out, left, right, where you see some of these guys, they're throwing the ball. They're throwing nasty sliders, nasty curveballs, and they're down the middle. But Max Scherzer throws it on the inside corner and the outside corner. Like, I always liked watching this. This is how I watch a game, and I, I did this years ago too, is watch where the catcher sets up. And I, and I always said, if the catcher never moves his glove, the pitcher's going to win. But a lot of guys nowadays, you watch the catcher sets up outside, the pitch is like up and up and in to a righty and the guy swings and misses or whatnot, or gets out or whatever it is. But, and they're like, man, that pitch was so nasty. It moved. Well, that's not necessarily where he wanted to throw the ball. I mean, it was fun watching, you know, Greg Maddox in his prime, David Wells in his prime, um, Al Leiter, you know, guys that the catcher never moved. You know, and they they had the games where the you know, they weren't hitting their spots and got, they got hit a lot. But nowadays, a lot of guys they just throw a lot of nasty stuff and it's right down the middle. They they don't know, necessarily know where they're going. They can't throw a curveball inside and a curveball outside and a high curveball if they need to, or then bounce a curveball. Um, you know, spot a fastball down and away, and then up and in, and then down and in, and then up and away. That's what I see in the last you know five to ten years. So I think like Max Scherzer is one of those guys that definitely does that. He just doesn't rear back and throw really hard and have nasty stuff. He's hitting his spots. And that's what I see as a true pitcher. And I see a lot of throwers nowadays, young guys coming up. They're good, but they're just throwers. And when they, you know, look at Chapman. Chapman's filthy, throws 105 miles an hour from the left side. If he can't throw a slider for a strike, he he never knows where his fastball is going. So he's like effectively wild. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And it seems to me that a guy like Chapman, if he can't locate a slider, obviously it's a problem, but also as fast as he throws, if he does leave it down the plate, people are putting it out of the park. He's ran into some issues in the past couple of years. He's kind of fallen off as a guy that was once feared as the top closer in baseball. And maybe you could speak to this too, that your longevity, but like the longevity of a guy like Mariano Rivera and Trevor Hoffman, closers kind of come and go it's almost yeah, similar I mean, to the running back in like football in a sense at times where you could have a guy that's great for like four like brian wilson was amazing for like four or five years gagne mm-hmm. gagne you know
3: well gagne i
1: think was on some sauce and got off um here's the thing is closers nowadays with um cyber metrics or what all the technology and stuff they're like well the most important inning is like the seventh inning No, it's really the last, it's the last three outs. It's the last out of the game. Is it, is the seventh inning really big? Yeah. Or even the fifth, sixth inning, you know, the big situation, but there's something to be, to get the last out of the game or the last three outs, knowing nobody's coming behind you, nobody's helping you out. And just that mental part of, if you have to face their three, four, five guy on Monday and then do it again on Tuesday. And I think a lot of coaches or a lot of organizations now are not putting the emphasis on closers. So like you look at Houston, the last couple of years, they went to the playoffs, the closer they used out the season. They didn't use in the playoffs. It's like, thanks for getting us here, but forget you now, because our, our computers say this pitcher is better than you, you know, our starter that's going to go on the bullpen or something like this. Mm-hmm. And we're not using how baseball has traditionally been used. It's just all these different things like, you know, but they say you should never, butt. and, the good teams use a bunt once in a while, but it's, you know, the lost art of situations. It's always like, let's just swing and try to hit home runs. And some teams can do that and most teams can't. And they're just looking for guys that throw really hard with high RPMs and guys that can hit the ball 110 miles an hour off the bat, but they don't care if it's a fly bar or a ground ball. They just care it's 110 miles off the bat, you know, their exit velocity and that will equate into being a great hitter. And that's not really because a great hitter knows the situation. And when the pitcher's thrown away, he takes the ball the other way. Um, a pitcher, the same situation, like pitchers. Now I hate the shift because I didn't even, I don't always know exactly where my defense was when I was pitching. And what if I want to go inside to a righty, but they got the shift on that he's like, you know, or lefty. That's a pull hitter. I want to go away. And everybody's shift over and I don't have a third baseman over there now. And he just hits, you know, I get it one off the end of the bat and it's a weak dribbler to the third baseman, but third baseman was playing shortstop. So now that's a base hit and it's kind of frustrating because he's a pull hitter. You want to keep the ball away.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't want to throw into his wheelhouse. And the game has just kind of slowly changed a little bit where I think they're overthinking and they're overdoing things. It's kind of like, I don't know how old you guys are. I'm mid forties. When I grew up, I used to know all my friends' phone numbers. I used to have a calling card number. I knew that. I knew the passcode, this and that. Now I have a smartphone. I don't know anybody's number anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you don't need to know phone numbers <laughs> anymore because it's kind of like the, the phones are cool. They got Google, they got the internet. We can do so much things, but it's kind of like almost making us dumber in a way. It's the think- same
3: thing with, with uh, pitchers and catchers no longer putting down signs, just using that little pitch caller on the on like their wrist.
1: Yeah, so you know, if we if the hitters have a buzzer, somebody's going to make a technology and try to, you know, figure out the wavelengths of that and to feel the you know, dude dude is a curveball or dude is a fastball. You can't you just can't say no and yes and change the signs every every out. I mean, if the other team kind of knew what was going on or we we guessed what hey, they might be they got something in the outfield cuz we thought Milwaukee had something, Boston sometimes You know, it was all before, but we weren't sure every out we'd switch the signs before we'd go out there. We knew first out is this second out is this third out is this they'll never figure it out.
2: I mean, the shift is one of my least favorite things in sports.
1: My least favorite thing is the cheat card. I got to pull my card out of my pocket. Where do I need to go on this batter? What do I need to pitch to this guy? I'm like, really? You can't, you can't remember. You can't do homework. If we didn't know the pitching, the coach could come out and goes, Hey, what's the scouting report? And if you like had no idea, he was going to pull you or you weren't going to play in the big leagues because you didn't know you didn't take the time to know the scouting report. You didn't take the time. This guy's a pull hitter. This guy goes the other way. This guy's an off speed hitter. You didn't take the time. You're just going out there and throwing. Now it's like, just go out there and throw and I'll tell you what to do. Baseball savvy. The guys, the really smart players have they've got no idea. Like my kid's a senior at high school right now. And I bet you most of their graduate. yeah, he graduated. Sorry, he's going to college, but they're still playing in the state tournament. And when I was in high school, I used to think, man, if I faced McGuire, or Barry Bonds, this is what I'd throw to him. I think the pitchers nowadays in high school or college would be like, well, what's what's the what's the scouting report? What's coach t- going to tell me to do? Because they're not even allowed to call their own pitches in high school, and I know in college they're not allowed to do that either. It's just it's like I said, Max Scherzer, Kershaw, Grom. There's some other guys I'm probably missing. They're true pitchers, and a lot of guys are getting called up, and I've, I label them as throwers. If they don't have your velocity, they, they can't get people out. They don't have their best stuff. They can't keep people out. I bet you if Max Scherzer didn't have his best stuff, he'd still give you a chance to
0: win the game.
3: Mackenzie Gore, toss. true yeah. pitcher.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he's a pitcher. The playoff point is really great because there's, there's, I imagine, a, a huge mental element like you said, Heath, of being the last guy, knowing you don't have another guy behind you. So, you know, when we see a manager throw in a starter to pitch 7 eight, 9 in the playoffs because he's the best arm available, he's right the best arm available, yeah. he hasn't been in that situation before. So to throw someone in that situation that they've never been in, the mental preparation isn't there, where if you're the closer for the entire season, you know what it's like to feel that pressure. You know what it's like to only have 10 pitches, six mm-hmm. pitches, right? Like, its it's just a... It to me it's it's taking the feel out of it and it's it's such a feel game and I don't know, it just makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, it's just it's one of those things that I mean I think they're the new tech um what do you want to call it? Um the uh, cybermetrics of baseball or whatnot is if you're using it at like I tell people all the time, if you use all the information that cybermetrics is showing you or um all the guru people or whatnot. You still need to play the game. You still need to have baseball savvy. So if you're using it as like your fastball, because everybody, every pitcher needs a good fastball. Well, what makes a pitcher better? Throwing an off-speed pitch, like your curveball. If you're using and but you have a great curveball, now you're not going to throw your fastball, you're just always going to throw your curveball. Your fastball is not going to be any good. And eventually they're going to see your curveball so much, you're not going to do well. And I feel like that's what a lot of clubs are doing. They're so into Managers don't get to do the lineups anymore. They have 20-year-old guys doing the lineups because they're just punching a bunch of numbers. And if it doesn't work, it's the manager's fault. It's never the guys sitting, you know, behind the scenes and coming up with the lineups or whatnot, because you're using your your curveball way too much. If you use all the technology that you're you're getting, all the numbers as your secondary pitch or your third pitch, and it makes you help make those decisions, then I think that's good. But you know, look back in baseball. I mean, if it was your birthday or you had a child that was born, you always started that guy because he was just going to have a great day for some odd reason. Now mm-hmm. it's like, no, that doesn't matter. Bunts don't matter. You know, getting a guy over with one out from to third base doesn't mean anything. Cause I remember saying something about if there's no outs and a guy in second, if you bun him to third base, so there's one out that doesn't mean the percentage of him scoring is the same of just swinging away with no outs. But I also look at this. Now the pitcher with one out has a guy on third. He can't bounce a ball. The catcher has to be really on top of his game. Cause if ball gets behind him, the run's going to score, you know, there's more to it than it's the mental part of like, okay, I have to make a pitch. I can't bounce this too bad because if it gets away, the run's going to score. But if a guy's on second and you throw a curveball down in the zone or a changeup, and the guy swings and misses and the ball gets to the backstop, it's okay. The runner's only at third. It's not a big deal, but it changes your mental aspect, but you can never calculate the mental part of the game. And I feel like that's what we're missing in the game nowadays, because you don't have that baseball savvy, like, Oh man, this manager was so smart to send him or to put this guy in this day. You know, there's no more of that. It's just, we're just all just, Hey, just go out there and swing. And hopefully we hit,
2: we hit the ball farther than you do. And we score more runs. It's just a lot of overthinking. And like they're taking away the shift next year just to kind of dumb that back, honestly, because they've realized, I mean, it takes away from the game. It's people don't want to watch good defense. They want to watch crazy, you know, they want to watch crazy plays on defense or they want to watch, you know, serious hitting.
1: Well, here's the thing I bet you there's, I would say the percentage is over half of pitchers don't like the shift.
2: That as well, too.
1: But no, you're never going to hear that. You're just going to say, well, it's because of the fans. No, I bet you a lot of pitchers don't like this shift. You know, like I'll give you an example. Baseball has been around for what, 150 years, 130 yeah. years. We've only had the information for the past 15 or 20 years. So what's that? 10%. When we're going off, we're saying the shift gonna wor- is works all the time because the last 10%, Good 10% point. of the time it works because we have 10% of the knowledge. It just doesn't make sense to me. It's like when they, they talk about, you know, I'm not getting political, but like climate change and stuff like that. My mom grew up in the sixties and seventies and they said, you know, we were going to have the next ice age, but you know, you think in 1920, we really knew it was 88 degree, 88.9 degrees. You know, it was like, no, they had a thermostat, man. It was freaking hot out. <laughs> you know, it wasn't until Still like the probably sixties or seventies, they start writing stuff down. It's just hilarious. a small percentage.
3: That's That's all. I just want
1: to that. see the game. I, I want the game to be great. And I feel like all we're trying to do is speed up the game, and not try to make the game great. Does that make sense?
3: Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Tracks well. Heath, thank you so much for joining us, man. We appreciate the work you also do with our buddy Nikki Snacks over on Ring the Bell Pods Talk. It's a great show over there. Uh, Joshua Fisher, Nikki Snacks, Critter, Alexander, toss me the rock to the great Heath Bell, San Diego legend. Uh, fans out there, drag both feet around, swing on a full count, rip that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they're free, and hit your free throws wide, guys. Cause they're free. Cause they're free. We absolutely love you. Yeah, free baby. Boy Heath, you get the message. <laughs> See you next time.